Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, it's Tavis here, and I just wanted to let you know before we get into the episode that, yes, this is a series available in podcast format, but what you may not have known is that we actually do upload these to YouTube as well. So if you search for Rare Petra on YouTube or Modern Mobile Oil Field, you should be able to find this episode, and there are a lot more visuals, and it is a lot more entertaining. So if you feel like there's something you're missing out on, it's probably because you didn't see it. So head over to YouTube.com. Search Rare Petro or look for Modern Mobile Oil Field and you'll find this interview. Oh, you're still here, huh? Well, you must really want to listen to it. If that's the case and I won't stand in your way, here is episode two. Alrighty, Rare Petro audience, welcome back to another episode, and you may have noticed that the studio got a little bit of an update, and that's actually thanks to our guest, Jeffrey Can. So not only is he a content expert, but you know, he's the oil field tech guru. So thank you for joining us again, Jeffrey. Oh, just delighted to be here as ever. Now... If you caught the last episode, you know that this is an oil field tech podcast I've, I have mentioned already, and we actually made it to accompany this book, Bits, Bites, and Barrels, which Jeffrey actually wrote. So, of course, you're going to have great content on this podcast, this series, but it's never going to replace this book. It's not too expensive. Go on Amazon, pick yourself up a copy. It is fantastic. But enough of the formalities. I think it's time to get into this week's content. Last week, you know, we talked about cloud computing, and if you follow that figure in the book, we're working our way back. Today is ERP, and I kind of had an idea of what cloud computing was before coming into this series, but Jeffrey, what the hell is enterprise resource planning? <laughs> well, e ERP technology is the abbreviation, uh, uh, stands for enterprise resource planning, and it's a category of uh, technologies developed uh, many years ago, uh, I'm going from memory now, but think 1970s, 1980s timeline. And at that time, the history of uh, the technology industry, uh, uh, particularly if you go back into industrial enterprises, is that the uh, first thing you tended to use the technologies to do was to automate the back office, which is the finance function. So this whole range of technology started out helping to support the CFO, do pretty basic stuff like, like bill people and pay bills and handle purchase orders. Over time, that category of technology has expanded and evolved as those vendors who write that technology or deliver that technology set have added different functionality to their, their product offering, including creating uh, vertical versions of their products specifically for different industries, and one of which is the oil and gas industry. Most large oil and gas companies these days, particularly the, the integrated majors who we'd all know, Exxon, Chevron, Shell, BP, all rely on uh, enterprise technology sets to administer and manage a great deal of the functionality of their business when, where, where they use these, these technologies. All right, that sounds pretty fine and dandy and wide uses, of course, plenty of applicable situations. But what are the disadvantages? Because everything that we talk about is usually too good to be true in the start. Can you get into both the good and the bad of ERP? Well, the, the good of ERP is, is that uh, a, for the company who owns one or runs their business with one is that you have fewer moving parts. You just have one technology set 
that you rely on to manage uh, as much of your business as you possibly can, which means you don't have to worry about building integrations between, you know, this technology you've chosen to say run maintenance and this technology over here that you've uh, 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 using to pay bills because frequently your maintenance function is being outsourced to a third party who is now, <laughs> you now need to pay. So rather than having two separate standalone systems that you now have to kind of build an integration for, it's all included within the enterprise uh, set. So that's its principal advantage is it allows uh, companies to create these end-to-end -end views, integrated views of their business without having to have these, these solitudes. Uh, and um, the, uh, those uh, enterprise tools, because of their nature, create what's called single source of truth. So if you have a, a single vendor number for, for a vendor, if for your maintenance system where you're handling your maintenance, it's the exact same vendor number that's in the billing system for you to pay the vendor. So you, you eliminate the potential for these reconciliation problems. This is a very important point in a more digital world, because in a digital world where we want to create uh, uh, simpler, <clears throat> flatter, easier to administer businesses, uh, having single source of truth is really, really important. Um, some of the disadvantages though, is that once you've put your business uh, onto one of these platforms, it's devilishly hard to get off of them. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's a long-term commitment. Once you're in, I you're know, in. Yeah, I, I don't know any organizations, none come to mind anyway, that have uh, uh, elected to use one of these enterprise products uh, for the bulk of their business. And then a few years later decide, oh, well, well, let's go do something different. Like when, once you're on, you're on, because the, the task of moving your company to use one of these solutions is a pretty heavy lift. And uh, regressing back uh, to, a, to some, other, um, some other platform or new, new platform is, is really, really hard. Uh, a second disadvantage uh, for these uh, platforms is that uh, for any specific thing that you might want to do, they might not be truly at the very, very edge or true best in class or best uh, representative of best practice. You can always find some, something out there which is a little bit further beyond, further advanced. And uh, so uh, uh, when you're on an enterprise system, you are, you will, you'll always feel perpetually like I'm a little bit behind. Uh, but the reality is, uh, you know, when you're kind of using these systems to run your business, um, that's, uh, it, it, it's a bit of a myth because your real prize is the integration, not the very, very specific edgy spe bit of functionality that you might, might, be, uh, might value. Uh, so uh, the conclusion most large organizations get to is that the, the, the benefit of being on a single platform outweighs the opportunity cost of having myriads of little systems, which might be very edgy, but lack, lack that integration capability. All righty. So it sounds more good than bad, but is this a widely accepted technology or is this something that's recently been birthed into oil and gas industry? Are there systems that everyday consumers might be using and not actually know? Oh, and, and, and everyone, whether we, whether we appreciate it or not, we're all interacting with these tools all the time. Anytime you engage with a business whose function is to supply you with a product or a service, especially a large company, the, the probability that you are personally be interacting with or having some kind of connection with these enterprise tools is almost 100%. Uh, they're that pervasive in, in the context of large industry. Uh, so uh, uh, this is not something you can say, well, I, I, don't, I don't have any personal experience with. You, you might not have any personal experience in building one of these things or, or de uh, developing it or enhancing it, but you absolutely are interacting with them, whether you appreciate it or not. So you mentioned that there are a lot of companies making use of this software. 
are there a few titans in the industry? Are there one or two people running the big show? Or are there plenty of other services from smaller people that are also servicing oil and gas? Yeah, this is like many industries. It's a very fragmented industry with uh, lots and lots of uh, uh, players. But uh, the, the market stratifies into technology sets that are truly enterprise grade for very, very large organizations. And uh, that market is, is quite small. Uh, there, there are a couple of products that fit that category, if you like. One is a product called SAP, which is a, a Titan from Germany. And a second is Oracle, which is a very, very large co company based in California. So these two companies largely uh, share the market. I, I don't know the proportions of direct market share they might have in large enterprises, but it would be quite significant. Now, by that, I mean, think 60, 70%. There's still lots of organizations who will make do with, with uh, lower, lower um, uh, grade technologies because, you know, for whatever reason, they either have not um, decided that it was time to make the leap or they can make do with the technology that they have. As an example, in uh, the mid-2000s, roughly, Canada's, I think, second or third largest oil company, Shell, which a major, major organization was, was running its, um, its, and its uh, 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 enterprise system uh, using a technology called J.D. Edwards, which was before it had been purchased by Oracle. Okay. This made it the world's yeah. single largest J.D. Edwards installation, but uh -huh. it was not top tier relative to what ExxonMobil was using and Chevron was using and so forth. So it doesn't, you know, th these products can, can stretch and expand beyond their kind of normal boundary. But when you get into the really large organizations, it generally kind of bifurcates into these two products, SAP and Oracle. Okay. But between those two products, clearly they both have a significant amount of business. Do they afford unique services or are they relatively the same software just utilized in different ways? Well, there is a probably there's a school of thought that would argue that since you are purchasing these enterprise platforms as a, a basis uh, to run your business and everyone else can purchase the exact same platform, then arguably uh, you are not differentiated just because you're using one of these products. But the reality is the products themselves are quite malleable and uh, some organizations can and decide to, to use the products to their fullest extent possible, whereas others will simply use uh, bits and pieces. Uh, and so uh, to, to achieve differentiation um, is, is, a, is a, you know, when you're buying technology from third party, arguably is pretty hard to do. But, uh, but even so, the, the fact that the, these technologies offer this huge palette of things that you can do with them creates the opportunity for companies to configure themselves to take a full advantage of that palette. And in so doing, they do achieve a significant degree of differentiation. Okay. And then let's say I'm C-level management and I want to pick between these two. If there is differentiation, is integration going to be as, simil as simple as looking at SAP and Oracle and just picking which I think is best suited? Or can there even be some pushback from within the organization, say the goals that I have aligned with implementing this technology? It may not be so much the implementation, although there is a real question. We can we can kind of get into that in in a second. But uh, I would uh, my experience has been that when it comes to identification of functionality for a specific nuanced user, so imagine a maintenance engineer uh, deep in the bowels of an oil refinery, and that engineer will always find uh, technology solutions that are superior 
in, in, at the very, very edge of, of uh, functionality to what they can acquire through these enterprise uh, platforms. And so this, uh, who, uh, what I found is that when, when, you, when companies are deciding to use these tools, it really does uh, matter on whether or not you say to the team that's going to deploy and use and, and, uh, and select these products, whether or not they are to pay attention to the value they get as an enterprise or the specific features they get as an individual user. If the orientation is make my end user as happy as possible, sometimes you'll find these enterprise tools quite wanting because they, the functionality set might not be as edgy as you can get. Mm. On the other hand, if the important measure is to build and create an enterprise, one culture, one way of doing things, one source of truth, these enterprise tools far outweigh what you can get with, uh, with all of the other tools that are out there. All right. What does ERP have the capacity to improve? I mean, in a perfect world, Jeffrey's perfect technology. He takes ERP, <laughs> he combines it with what to make some beautiful application? Uh, well, the, 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 the might not feel this way, but um, the, the function of running a back office or the, the part of a industry which is um, not in the day-to-day -day of making things uh, might not feel very uh, uh, dynamic and exciting and, and attractive, but the reality is most businesses spend a significant amount of money on the functions of, of uh, o, 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 what, we, what we would call in business overhead. But these tools have the potential to largely eliminate the costs and frictions uh, associated with these, these overhead functions. And so if I were uh, in an in enterprise and I had the option to take one of these tools and, and leverage them, uh, my, the thing of beauty that I would be aiming to create is a true paperless business where my uh, 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 supply chain, my human resources function, my finance function, my inventory control, my purchasing, my contracts, my suppliers, that entire chain uh, was uh, largely paper-free, if not exclusively in, uh, paper-free. And that's the kind of functionality that these enterprise systems can, can, can help uh, companies achieve. I like that dream a whole lot. Sounds like a future I want to be a part of, especially in an office setting. And we've talked about now the future, the present, but I'd like to go a little bit back to the past. You've been mm. around a little bit longer than me. What were the historical uses of ERP software back then? How were these systems hosted in the past and are they fully integrated? Did Y2K have anything to do with the history? Well, the, 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 these systems originally would have started out as a, a mainframe system. So uh, using a mainframe technology or mainframe computers from the likes of IBM and DEC and others many, many, many years ago. That mainframe technology still exists, by the way. It's, uh, it's, uh, that is, in and of itself has not gone away. But the industry has moved through several waves of technology change. So we went through mainframes to uh, departmental computers or, or where, where we began to the earliest stages of, of distributed computing. From there, we went into a, a wave of uh, architecture called client-server, which we're still kind of in, in, in the midst of because client-server means that you have a, a desktop computer, which is interacting with a, a server in the background. You've got software on both sides. The software on your desktop is, is, is sophisticated. Software on your server is sophisticated. We're in a wave now, which is, uh, is uh, browser-based. So uh, the technology on your, on your, your, your tablet, your phone, your, your uh, desktop computer, you're, you're interacting with cloud services and, and applications through a browser interface. So we're in, the, in, this, in this wave of, uh, of, of technology change. ERP systems have moved through this entire wave 
And there still will be companies out there, very few, but there will be some that are using enterprise systems on a mainframe setting, some that are using them in client server, and uh, many, many, many which are still using them as, uh, these days as a, a browser-based uh, browser system. What the enterprise technology companies do is they move their technologies over time to match the next generation of technology wave that's coming at them. So the, the wave that's now here is we move our compute environments to the cloud. Uh, so the, the enterprise vendors have, uh, for the most part, rewritten their systems so that they run entirely in on the cloud and not uh, in a computer system you have to have in your back office uh, on premises. And that change, the first time I saw the, the major shift was during the merger wave, which took place in the late 1990s that created ExxonMobil and BP Amico. And uh, these, when these companies were formed, one of the first things they did was hammer together and rationalize their uh, independent uh, enterprise systems and a major driver of which was the merger, but in addition, the, the shift in the century uh, date clock, the, what, what was called the Y2K problem. That also drove the industry to rationalize these systems, solidify the uh, platform, move on to single versions, and in, 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 the so, in so doing, advance to the next generation of technology. We're now about to go through a whole new wave of this because the enterprise systems now are ready to embrace the digital world, which includes things like cloud computing, artificial intelligence, blockchain, uh, uh, augmented reality. All of these tools, which you know we see in the consumer world are now coming to the enterprise platforms, but to take advantage of them, companies that own these tools will have to migrate to the next generation. All right, so it sounds like vendors are definitely putting out new technology. People have been making use of it for a while, but there's kind of a big gap between the 90s and 2020. Are there companies <laughs> who have used the system since maybe the 90s and it hasn't changed all that much? They haven't purchased the newest, most updated software? Uh, there will always be companies who cannot rationalize for any, any, uh, uh, for, at any given point in time the cost and the inconvenience of migrating uh, their, their technologies onto uh, the more modern versions. That's just a given. Mm -hmm. So uh, with the, within any industry, you'll find that, uh, that situation. Is that a majority of people or are, is the oil and gas industry rolling with the times right now and staying pretty updated with these ERP systems? Yeah, generally speaking, the oil and gas industry is uh, where the rest of industry is at with uh, the adoption uh, of, of these technologies. There will be a, a some which are out front and early adopters and moving very quickly. The vast majority are uh, in the middle, uh, planning and waiting and, and so forth and haven't committed. And then there will be a, a trail of companies who will simply say, I'm not investing in this. I'm just going to let this <laughs> let this one ride. Uh, and so there's, uh, if you, if, so if you dig into the industry, you're, you're going to be in one of those, basically one of those three buckets. So you did mention how there's plenty of companies making use of this, maybe not that last bucket that you did mention. And I feel bad for yeah. them because I like the idea of replacing seemingly mundane and simple tasks, mundane and simple, but maybe long too. Does ERP have any solutions to cover the most boring parts of someone's workday and which areas in this aspect has the biggest effect for oil and gas? Well, the, the, the enterprise technologies have largely, um, when, when they're fully deployed, have largely solved the problems and challenges of what I would call the mundane back office functions of oil and gas. Buying things, selling things, uh, paying people, managing contracts, that's largely done. 
the next wave of this technology uh, as it's as it's, once the next versions are, are being deployed will begin to tackle the much more interesting and exciting world of uh, better visualization of data uh, augmented reality deployments the use of blockchain these are the, the kinds of uh, functionality sets that um, the, the industry is, it needs to tackle next. Now, you and I can both look at our, jo our jobs day to day and go, well, what part of my job is now boring and dull, uh, which <laughs> these technologies could support? And a good example is the use of artificial intelligence to do things like uh, piece together uh, certain kinds of routine analysis that we are constantly doing or interpreting data in such a fashion that it gives us the, as the human decision maker, the, the uh, finite set of choices already sorted and categorized for uh, prior, priority decision making. If that's what's boring and dull for you today, these tools will make that a lot simpler in the future. Mm -hmm. And for those of you interested, AI, hot topic and potentially an episode in the future. So please make sure you're subscribed to both Jeffrey, Rare Petro, and we will get you that content. But for the next question, I was going to hash out a few more areas and ask for you to go into specifics, but you kind of blew through that with the last answer. You clearly know what's going on. But one thing I wanted to talk about, HR and talent, human resources, can we implement ERP to manage mainly the pools of people coming in? And actually, I'm not, I'll let you take it away. I clearly don't know what's going on with that. So again, the, the, uh, one of the core functions of these tools is to take the, uh, the transactions that are routine and uh, executed on a very, very regular basis and move those transactions to a, a simplified way of, of execution. And human resources, talent management, and, and all the functions in HR absolutely applies to this. Everything from recording your travel time, managing your travel expenses, uh, updating your personal data, where, uh, for instance, you have a, uh, your, your family has just grown through the addition of some new children, fresh children you've managed to reproduce, and so now you have a, fa a new family member. Absolutely. Uh, so, so your personnel records now need to be updated. In the past, that, that, uh, those updates had to be done by a human resources professional who would interact with the system. Now that's all done with people using their phone and their tablet. And they're, in, they're doing all of that in the back end. What's, what's in the back that's managing all that data? An enterprise solution. Mm. And uh, so the short, short answer is yes, uh, this technology has a huge role to play in, in talent management. And in many oil and gas companies, for sure, already been, been deployed into that area because the transactional hassle of uh, paying people and talent management and, uh, has been uh, uh, ever present with the industry since its inception. All right. And I'd like to broaden the scope because so far we've talked a lot from the perspective of industry. Let's zoom out. We've got North America, both United yeah. States and Canada. I think we can speak on both of those. But how difficult will it get be to get this software to regulatory agencies? Because a lot of the time I'll go to a regulatory website, especially for states in the United States, and it's an old HTML website with dead links, too much content, too much data. Can we implement ERP into local governmental organizations, or is that a transition we likely won't see? Well, it, it depends. If you were to divide the function of the, the say, regulatory or government agency into the administration of a regulation, uh, in other words, prescribed by law and codified in law, and now we need to somehow administer it, versus the uh, running of the agency itself, hiring people, 
paying them for a job, uh, subcontracting things to contractors, administering contracts and the like. If you divide the agency into those two parts, this part over here, the, 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 the running of the agency is very amenable to enterprise solutions. And indeed, many governments run themselves on these uh, enterprise systems for exactly that purpose. The front end, though, the part you're referring to, compliance with regulations, those regulations are often codified in law. They can be very specific. Like in the U.S., they can go right down to the county level at times. And uh, it's not uh, economically worthwhile for a large software company to build a very, very specific solution just for a specific regulator to apply a specific law in a very, very narrow situation. That just doesn't, just doesn't, it's just not economically worthwhile. What the ERP vendors have done, however, is they have created things and concepts like an app store where the foundation of their back office comes from their solution. They have an app store and they invite third parties to build the compliance software necessary to achieve the goal you've mentioned, measuring compliance or testing compliance. And now you bolt together a front-end app through an app store into back-end enterprise technology in the same way that you, you know, we all do with our phones on a regular basis. That's how you bridge the gap between a generalized function requirement for a regulator running a regulatory business and the regulator's front-end, which is the administration of highly specific laws. All right. So sounds like you like you mentioned they've bridged the gap they've taken what wasn't available from one side and got tools maybe a one-way bridge to access that data and technology in more reasonable ways but back to the company perspective will automation create any resistance from the teams currently managing this work i remember you kind of brought up a i don't want to say pessimistic but a scenario in which the engineer was never pleased with his new companion <laughs> Well, change management in oil and gas is a constant uh, challenge. Uh, the, the, the industry has to run safely and reliably. None of us as, as members of society uh, have any tolerance for organizations that are socially unsafe. And so the pressure on those organizations, driven in part by the regulations we talked about, but also by their own cultures, is to run those assets safely, reliably, and that means that they don't change very much. Uh, as I like to remind people, when you're trying to change oil and gas, you're frequently dealing with a jackhammer. You know, you got to go in and tear out steel and cement. So these industries are, are built to last and they're not built to change very easily. And uh, this creates a culture and an attitude in oil and gas, which uh, it often comes across as very risk averse and, and unopen to change. Uh, and uh, nothing could be further from the truth. The industry is very open to change. It's constantly changing. But once these assets are put into place and the pressure to keep them safe is so strong, then they, they, that turns into a kind of resistance to embracing change. And that is uh, one of the critical challenges that the industry has to work its way through, which is, well, yes, the steel and cement is hard to change and we want it to run safely, but what parts of the business can change in advance and stay ahead? And uh, that's where uh, it, it, doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what technology you're, you're implementing, the drive to implement that technology will always encounter individuals who see the world as this kind of black and white, I can't really change this versus the more uh, digital world, which says some things actually can indeed and should change. Mm -hmm. And I like that you mentioned that resistance to change time and time again, we seem to be talking about that. 
But it seems like one of the biggest issues, uh, one of the biggest factors for that resistance is non-productive time. Are there ways for companies to implement these systems so there's as little downtime as possible or to switch and update? Or are some people patching and trying to fix a system for too long that it just renders it useless? Well, it's, uh, you're quite right. There is a, a penchant in, amongst uh, companies that buy these technologies. It, they tend to remember the original implementation that they went through. And, and for many people, that wasn't a great experience um, because, yeah, these, these, these technologies tend to be, as one executive said to me, they're agenda altering for everybody. They, because they touch so many jobs and so much function, so many uh, different job functions and, and even the reports you interact with, everything has to change or has changed, uh, if not 100%, at least to some degree. And uh, people are, you know, people are being paid to do a day to day. And then, and so you come along and you upset all of that. It's, it's very disruptive and it bothers people a lot. And, um, and so there's a, a real temptation to say, well, rather than, you know, embarking on a major wave of overhaul, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do a little patch here and a little tweak there. And, uh, but you know, it's, it's like a house with, um, you know, once in a while, you got to clean out the garage. It's mm -hmm. a big job. You put it off until you absolutely can't do it. You just can't deal with it any longer. And then eventually you have to clean out the garage. Uh, it's the same thing with these, uh, uh, these kinds of enterprise tools. Eventually you have to do it. I like that metaphor because I had to do that moving out and it did suck to get rid of a lot of that stuff and downsize and clean. But once we had the finished product, it was well worth it. But well, and, and in fact, when you think about it, you know, there will be some things in your garage where you have, you have some strong attachment to, you know, you, you may have built it, or it may have uh, some nostalgic value for you, or it may still be something you occasionally use. My garage has a bicycle mount in it for my, my, uh, my uh, SUV. I occasionally <laughs> plug it onto the SUV, put my bike on it, and I drive off to a far off place to go cycling in the mountains. Most of the time, though, it sits on the floor in the garage because I live in the mountains. I don't actually have to, I don't have to drive to the mountain. I'm here. I just, uh -huh. I just go out. Um, but I still have the rack. So at some point in the future, I'm going to stare at that rack and go, oh, man, it's like a $1,000 rack. Like, <laughs> do I throw it out or do I keep it? We have a lot of attitude like that in, in, in industry where we go, well, I spent $1,000 or $10 or $10 million building I'm going to get this. my use, I, damn it. <laughs> I haven't got all the full use of it. I might use it someday. Why am yep. I throwing it away? Exactly. How far into the future are these companies looking then? So, of course, you've got your super majors who they clean their garages first. Uh, I should probably hop off this metaphor. <laughs> Don't want to beat it till it's dead. But they get through it first. They implement the technology. Everyone follows. But those leaders at the front, how far into the future are they actually looking? Is this just because short-term, five years, this can help us? Or are they thinking in time spans of 10, 20, or... Not so much. Well, technology changes so rapidly that, that mm -hmm. the idea that you can plan even even five years out uh, these days, I think, is a bit of a is a bit of a, a hard a hard uh, nut to crack for many organizations now. But the industrial uh, leaders uh, are well out when, when when you realize that it takes you you know as much as say let's say you want to, let's say you're in the liquefied natural gas industry and your ambition is that you're going to turn on a new LNG facility to supply gas to Asia. It's going to take you seven years from the time where you say, I think there's a market for this to the time where you can ship gas. Ooh. Seven years. Your plant, once it's built, will have to last 20 to 25 years to pay off the investment that you put in. 
So this industry is already well used to staring at investments with an extraordinarily long timeline. Mm -hmm. The market leaders are absolutely staring at their technologies and asking the, the same question. How, how will this technology evolve in time? And am I using it in a fashion today that is going to make it difficult for me down the road to make um, future changes? Uh, or is it going to be so far in advance even today that I can't actually make full leverage of it? There's this constant balancing act that they, they go through. But the market leaders, without question, are staring way down the track, asking themselves, how will this technology uh, be, be, uh, be used and how will it impact my, my business in the future? Mm -hmm. And speaking of impacting business, there's typically a lot of people involved. You've got HR, you've got technical people, you've got management, a whole slew of others supporting daily functions. Are there any translation issues across these departments or is ERP software inherently good at mitigating that? So the, the, there are many ways to implement enterprise technologies. Um, I'll give you an example. You could start off with putting the, this technology into your finance function. It's disruptive. It requires a lot of effort and uh, it may, for good reasons, economically limit you at the moment to concentrating your energies there. You put the technology in and you learn. Meanwhile, down the road, you're going to then extend it out into your HR function. But in the course of doing that, you've gotten smarter. How you did it over here might be different how you do it over here. Those differences, once they're implemented, unless you maintain everybody at the same pace as they advance up, you do run the risk that your future deployments will look different from your original deployments just because you're smarter. There's an old rule of thumb that uh, uh, an executive once said to me, when new technologies come out, the temptation is to use them the way we've thought about the past. The, in other words, we implement the future using yesterday's ideas. We don't use the future ideas. We use yesterday's ideas, but we implement the technology. This often comes across as a very sophisticated technology that's behaving exactly like yesterday's <laughs> business model. And uh, so we need to break that. But that's a common problem when you get into large deployments of this technology is, is that you end up with parts of your business stuck on one way of thinking about it. The next parts of your business are more advanced because they've, they've learned through the process of deploying that, uh, that, that they, can be, they can create a quite a different business uh, architecture when they're done. All right. And then even a step before that, how can management support the implementation of the software? If I'm the tech officer, can they come in, slap down a report, say, Killian, we want you to research ERP software. Here's 50,000 bucks. Come back to us Monday with a new system. I mean, of course, it's not that easy, but how can management support the people implementing these systems? Well, the first thing that management can do is recognize that if they do embark on a deployment of some technology, which is this enterprise level, in other words, it touches every job in the company to one degree or another, is that this is an agenda-altering experience for the company. And it has to become one of the top two or three things the company is going to be doing for the next two or three years, depending on the scale of your company. Uh, by that, it, it therefore must be driven by uh, executive leadership. Um, if the executives are not uniform of one mind on the importance of doing this, if they don't treat this as what it is, an agenda-altering experience, then the deployment is going to really, really struggle because the, the organization will be getting mixed messages around how important it is. There will be uh, backsliding. There will be uh, wait and see attitude by the workers. 
at, at the project you might even have ta uh, trouble attracting people to want to work on it because mm -hmm. it will look not like a good career move. Uh, so it, um, for management, if you're going to do this, any of these enterprise tools, the key is to make it a priority. And by that, I mean top one, two, or three. It's got to be, be named as one of the most important things you're working on. That way, you achieve that executive alignment behind it. And you can then start to drive the agenda uh, to deploy it throughout the organization as an enterprise product, overcoming the objections and, 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 and change issues that you encounter. Mm -hmm. And you know, I love my hypotheticals where I am a successful super major. So I've written one down, going to pitch it to you, hoping to kind of summarize what we've talked about in this podcast. Sure. I'm a super major in the same league as Chevron, Exxon, Shell. Let's assume for the sake of the argument also that my quarterly reports were phenomenal and I'm generating a significant revenue somehow. Additionally, I've somehow gotten this far by having all of my departments communicate through various internal databases, databases plural, and spreadsheets to log the massive amount of data that we've collected and organized. Now, my situation may have overcomplicated things and been too difficult, but is adopting an ERP technology impossible at this scale or just simply difficult? Where does my company begin and what are the landmarks they want to hit on the way from beginning to end? If you're in the scenario that you've described actually is still very, very common today, although okay. not with the, the very, very large oil, oil companies. They've all kind of moved beyond that. Mm -hmm. But you can imagine a startup company today, something that's a, a unicorn, has grown very, very rapidly and suddenly is a billion dollars in scale. And you look inside and the, it's all spreadsheets. Uh, that is actually extraordinarily common. It's not unusual at all. And it's because the a prior, priority for the company, given its uh, financial structure, pressure from investors, a uh, uh, large wave of demand, has moved the organization to invest in the front of the business, selling things and delivery, and much less in administration and back office. Mm -hmm. So this is a very, very common problem, actually. So your, your scenario is not implausible at all. So where do you, so where do you begin? Well, first is uh, recognition that this is now a constraint to growth. And it typically is. If your back office costs are rising faster than the growth of your business, that's a sign you've got a problem in, in your uh, enterprise uh, technology toolkit. If you're unable to scale your business up uh, and while leaving your administration costs largely flat, you've got an enterprise uh, uh, technology problem on your hands because your, your business is not, not uh, able to grow correctly. And, and so recognition is your first, first uh, hurdle to overcome. And just getting the organization to acknowledge that there's a problem and it needs to be fixed uh, is, is, your, is a significant, uh, significant first challenge to solve. Mm -hmm. Once you've got that, then um, the next classic move in the industry is you retain outside advisors who have done this before because it's highly likely in your company, if you've never done, had to do this, it's highly likely you've never had, you don't have people on staff whose job was to drive this change agenda because you haven't gone through it. Why, why would you have those people on board? So the, the classic move at that point is to hire a, a handful of individuals who have made this a career specialty, helping organizations uh, with this advance. So there's no point to reinvent the wheel. 
No, absolutely not. You don't you don't need to go and, and train people internally yet on this. Um, you you may be able to hire those folks in or contract them out, get the professional services firm. Mm. Um, even the software vendors themselves have services arms that specialize in doing these sorts of things. So you know you 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 uh, have to put people in in place. They then have to be given budget and a and a mandate to achieve results. They they need to have measures as you would with any endeavor, like what do you want them to achieve? Uh, uh, a deployment in six months, nine months, or two years. Uh, they, have to, they have to be given some targets to, to, to shoot at. And uh, that, that combination of, of uh, people and resources with clear accountabilities and targets to shoot at and a way of working, which you contract in from people who've done this before, puts you onto the right track to be able to successfully do a deployment through, through one of these solutions. Mm-hmm. All right. And so you kind of targeted management and C-level people with the next question I'd like to ask. I want to talk about how people can better prepare themselves. It sounds like on the upper side, they can know the vision and they can lead the change. But what about the people listening to this podcast who are maybe students, technical personnel? Is this something they want to launch into now or develop differently? Well, if you're an employee in an organization and uh, you're, you look around and it's, it's just all spreadsheets and this part of your business hasn't changed very well and it doesn't react well to change itself, like changing circumstances, and it doesn't seem to grow very easily with, without adding a lot of people, if that is your business reality, you might be a candidate for one of these technologies. And if you're right in the middle of it, it, the temptation is to just put your head down and just keep working away on it. Uh, whereas I think in the long run, that's not a very good career plan because if someone else comes along and reinvents this, this uh, world uh, with le- leveraging these tools, uh, you might be at career risk. So the, the solution for you, I, in my, my view, is to be part of the change not be the victim of the change and, <laughs> and embrace this. And so um, that, that might mean things like saying to your boss, I think we should be investing money to fix this. This is inefficient and it's not how I would, it could be, could be better. That positions you internally as someone who's interested in driving improvements and change. That's a, a, a much better career position than someone who is heads down, working away, not paying attention to the broader uh, world uh, out there. Mm -hmm. For students and young people, uh, I don't know whether this is even available in university, but if you have the opportunity to get exposure to these tools in university or taking some online courses so that you you learn these things on your own, that would put you in a much better position for uh, career success down the road. Hey, I've never personally had the opportunity to do that, but most schools aren't going online, so maybe you yourself could make a pretty penny by establishing a course and giving some people exposure. But for now, what better way to get exposure than picking up a copy of this book? Again, Bits, Bites, and Barrel. I cannot stress how wonderful this is. Even if you're not looking to specialize and change the way you think, it's a good read to keep yourself in the know. So you can pick it up on, where Where can they get it? Amazon, other resources online? That's available on uh, probably a hundred websites around the world. The uh, but to, in North America, uh, fastest way to to buy it for sure is is, is on Amazon or or mm-hmm. pre- potentially through uh, you know another another subset of Amazon sites. Uh, the book is print on demand. It's a, it's a pure digital product. It doesn't sit on a bookshelf waiting for you to find it in a bookstore <laughs> when you place your order. A printer whips into action and prints your copy. And uh, so the, the, that's how you buy it, is, is through an online uh, purchase. If you're not used to buying things on Amazon, well, 
now's your chance to experiment. <laughs> it's time to get with the show. I mean, get this the is show. the future. This is We're done. living in it, and it's ten bucks. Not expensive. You can get yourself a copy. It's printed on demand, so there's going to be no wasted books. It's environmentally responsible. I can't sell this enough. Again, this podcast is good, but you will never get everything in the book from just listening to us. But I think that does wrap up this episode. So again, thank you, Jeffrey, for joining us. I'm delighted to have had the opportunity to talk through um, what is one of my most uh, favorite topics, uh, and that is the enterprise tool set for oil and gas. Of course. Thanks again. And until we see you next time, everybody, take care. <laughs>